And this, a lot of what we're talking about today comes from stuff we've written in the edge. Now, the first one, and uh, situation drives strategy. In immortal words of Brandon Voss, situation drives strategy. No coincidence on the last name, by the way, for those of you that know. Had you given up on this project? I got, you know, I get a uh, text. I get communications on this all the time. I get, I get a text. I can't remember if it was text or LinkedIn message the other day, maybe even Instagram. Um, the guy says, this is just short of a magic spell. Like I get people to respond and we cut the deal so much that it's, it's like magic. It works so much. Situation drives strategy. You cannot ask somebody, how have you, have you given up on this project at the beginning of the conversation? It's out of context. It has for it to be appropriate, for it to be authentic. It has to be on something they've already started, a communication you've already started. If I get a text message or an email from somebody and it's my first communication from them and they basically say, have you given up on working with me? My answer then is yes, because you're trying to manipulate me with this question. I never started, so I never could have given up. And you, if you try that on me, you need to learn the situation, drive strategies out of context, and people won't trust you if it's out of context. They're going to feel like even though they're saying no, there's something wrong with this. Maybe it, maybe it works on people some. But if you're opening your communications with have you given up on, I would ask you to rethink your approach to people. Come back, be a little more authentic, pull out of the manipulation. Have you given up on this project is for when people have ghosted you. When you're being ghosted, have you given up on this project is just darn near, not only it's close to guarantee and nothing is guaranteed. But it's as close to a guarantee that they're going to respond to you. And on top of that, they're going to respond to you in three or five minutes of seeing it. And what we want you to know from the Black Swan group is the system that you're using is perfectly designed to give you the outcome that you've obtained. What do I mean by that? If they're ghosting you, your communication strategy has led to them ghosting you. If they've stopped communicating with you. People don't stop communicating if they feel listened to. One of two things is going on on the other side, and it's probably a combination of both. You're not listening. You're pitching. You're explaining. Ronald Reagan said if you're explaining, you're losing. And secondly, there's a really good chance that they're losing power and influence on their side. Thank you very much. I love the, I love the applause. For those of you that are applauding, applauding, much appreciated. So you've got to take into account that you have been listening to them and they may be losing influence on their side, which embarrasses them. They don't want to admit that. That's one of the reasons they're going to stop talking to you. A lady I was advising on uh, negotiations in the early days before the book came out, we hadn't proved this concept. She's selling this guy on an investment. She, she's running an investment um, uh, fund and it happens to be an NFL coach and he's ghosting her. And I said, send him a text that says, have you given up on investing in a fund? And she's like, you know, I never heard of that. But what the heck? I got nothing to lose. He's not calling me back anyway. So she sends him the text message. Have you given up on investing in the fund? He responds immediately. That's what they will do. 
And she goes back to pitching before, which caused him to stop talking to her in the first place because she was pitching, she was explaining, she wasn't listening. And it was the last she ever heard of him. This is the most powerful one-shot reset you are ever going to be given, ever. But if you go back to what contributed them to ghosting you in the first place, you just blow on your one-shot reset. What do you got to do when you reset? You got to get a that's right out of them. You got to demonstrate understanding. You got to make them feel heard. Give you another example. It's in the book. Never split the difference. Woman consultant. Seven problem with a male CEO. She's perceiving that he's somewhat of a misogynist. He's giving her a hard time because she's a woman. He owes her money. She doesn't, he doesn't want to pay. He's making up all of these nonsensical excuses. We say do two things. Send him a text saying, have you given up on settling this amicably? It's a version of, have you given up on this project? Now, he's going to get back to you right away. And at that point in time, you have to be prepared with a summary to get a that's right out of him. Make him feel heard. Make him, under, make him feel understood. Because it breaks down barriers. When you make somebody feel understood, when you get a that's right out of somebody, Agreement is right around the corner. And the important thing about that idea right around the corner is you can't see it, but it's on top of you. It's right around the corner. Now, she doesn't think that he's going to call back right away because he's been so uncooperative and so hostile and so defensive and all this negative stuff. She's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I'm going to send him the text just to prove that you're wrong and he ain't getting back to me. And she's not ready with a summary. Sends him the text. He gets back to her right away. The sound of her, his voice triggers her again. She's not ready with a summary, which, by the way, keeps you from being triggered. One of the reasons you want to summarize the other side is because it calms you down. Not because so much as it calms them down, but it calms you down. Even uttering an attempt at a summary of their perspective calms you down. It's incredible. She's not ready for this. His voice triggers her again. She gets mad and it goes down the tubes and she doesn't get paid. So haven't you given up on this project? Have you given up on settling this amicably? Have you given up on X? Whatever that is, they will respond and they are going to respond in three to five minutes. Again, this is to restart a communication. And be ready with a summary, because if they stop communicating with you, it's a really good chance your communication strategy contributed to the problem. The system you're using is perfectly designed to give you the outcome that you've obtained. Remember, you don't get in life what's fair, you get what you negotiate. If you want to become a better negotiator, click the link in the description below. We're going to do a little bit of Q&A here in a minute, but I want you to know... If you want more, besides the book, if you want to add to it, only if you want more. Uh, we've got a newsletter that comes out once a week, short, sweet newsletter. It's very digestible. It's not one of those that's an encyclopedia that you've got to take a nap after you get done reading. Text FBI Empathy, all one word. Don't let your autocorrect put a space between FBI and Empathy. Send that to 22828. You'll get a dialogue box back that'll sign you up for the newsletter. A lot of people love it as a great supplement to the book. 
And it's also the gateway to everything that we do. When we, when we do training sessions, open enrollment training sessions, it's a gateway to the website, which is blackswanltd.com. But the newsletter will take you there, read past issues, find out about other stuff that we have. We have, we have quite a bit of free content on the newsletter, uh, on the website, and a lot of articles in the newsletter. You can search them, you can find a lot of stuff there that, that'll help you. Subscribing to the newsletter is a great tool, and it's free, it's complimentary. For those of you like me, formal federal, federal employees, you love free. All right. All right. Q&A. Thank you. All right. We have time for just a, a few quick questions. Uh, so if there's anybody that is dying to ask Chris something, raise your hand and speak loudly. I see a hand over there. That's, yeah, there you go. Go ahead. <laughs> there you go. There you I, go. I, I got a car buying story in the book, and 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 we just and, and on our YouTube channel, uh, a friend of mine, the guy I told you about, was uh, negotiating with South Koreans. He tells his car buying story, and uh, we get good we get good prices. <laughs> <laughs> you do that as a service, by the way. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I hope you get a car. There you go. There you go. That's good. Yes. Uh, well, see, that's a great question. When you go and, for a no and you get a yes, if you didn't hear the question. Um, first of all, no, like, nobody, will, nobody will do that. I, and, I, and I already know. I know how hard it is for anybody to say yes. I mean, it's, it's insanely hard. And my son used to challenge me on this. We're, we're walking out of a building in, uh, uh, with a client here in, in New Jersey across the river, and they got a security guard who's checked us in, and we're checking out. And he's, he's a security guard, and he's got allied security. And so my son says, I don't think it's always hard for somebody to say yes to something. And the security guard's right there. And I go, I look at him. I go, do you work for Allied Security? Now, he's at work, on duty. He's the same guy that checked us in in the morning. He remembers us from the morning before. He's got a uniform on says Allied Security. <laughs> I said, do you work for Allied Security? And he goes, what do you want to know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I look at my son, and I go, <laughs> Now, in the unlikely event the answer is yes, what you are going to get is silence. They're just not going to say yes. Now, the, on, on one in 10,000, because we like asking ridiculous no questions, you'd be shocked at the no questions we ask. We coach employees to ask their bosses, do you want me to fail? Mm. And, in a, and, and every now and then, if the answer is yes, you will get silence. And also part of negotiation is you go from knowing, from wondering to knowing, and you're never worse off. You might not like the answer, but you cannot move forward until you know what ground you're standing on. And so if the answer is, have you given, you know, a question we send out all the time, have you given up on doing business with the Black Swan Group? Hmm. If they don't respond, you know what we do next? Pursue someone else. Uh, how many non-responders do you have? You know how many we have? None. Because we don't pursue that business. If they're not going to do business with us, there are lots of people who will. 
And I'm not wasting my time on people who won't do business with us. Love that. Absolutely. Win fast, lose fast. Who else? Another quick question. I'm not seeing a hand. I I have one really interesting thing in in the book. You, You make this argument that the smarter you are, the more difficult it is to be a good negotiator. So there's hope for a lot of us in the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about that. Why is that? Smart people, people with higher degrees, they want to sh- they they show you how smart they are. You can't get them to shut up. <laughs> I mean, you can't. They just, they just want to show you how, how they've, thought, they've thought stuff through. They, wa- they want you to appreciate how much they've thought stuff through. And so they want to lay it all out for you. They want to help. I mean, it's very well-intentioned stuff, but it's really hard to get those kind of people to, to shut up. Yeah, yeah. And this is, this is about shutting up, asking the question, and getting information from who you're talking to. Getting them to talk, not me to talk. Your counterpart should be talking five times more than you. Yeah. We like to, we like to say, uh, he who talks most loses. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good. He who talks most loses. Who has a question? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, I'm not asking anything now. I'm just going to listen. Actually, we do have time for, for uh, yeah, yeah, Frank. How about when it comes to, like, a wife and kids negotiating with that? Yeah, wife and kids negotiating with that. We don't have a lot of time. So. Oh, oh. <laughs> senior, senior executive, although very young lady, uh, um, uh, executive in Silicon Valley is talking to her then fiance now husband one day and she goes why do I like talking to you all of a sudden so you know this last couple of days I've really enjoyed talking to you and he's like ah, taking this class and they're, they're teaching this book never split the difference and they're making us do it with, the, with our wives and our girlfriends <laughs> She went out and bought books for all her girlfriends, husbands, and boyfriends. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. I saw a hand here. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Um, my name is John Melvin Williams from Eminem. Hi, Melvin. Um, just wanted to know if, if it's a ridiculous idea Ooh. for me to ask you if you could clear your schedule for the rest of the day. Um, a lot of the businesses in your area today that we've been working with, they've experienced security outbreaks, and we've been trying to work with them. And um, most of the businesses are struggling to fight technology today. And really, I understand everything that you're going through. So I'm just wondering, is it possible for you to clear your schedule so we can talk about and help you grow your business? Uh, all right, so what did what, so he, he... Break that down. He, he pitched like crazy, right? Yeah. He's, he, what he, he, he did a nice job. He, took, he says, it's a ridiculous idea for me to clear my schedule for the rest of, rest of the day. And then it, he three, four sentences to lay out the pitch. And then he said, I understand, which is bad. You should never say I understand. You had a really good start. Your pitch needs to be a lot sh- shorter. But you're, I didn't, did I pitch with that father? No, you didn't. No. Yeah. I didn't, that was the other thing I didn't do. I didn't pitch the father. I didn't pitch solutions. I didn't pitch answers. I said, here's what you're looking at. And waited to see if he was going to interact with me on what he was looking at. So you got a good start. That's a, the, the first fact that you already picked up on a, to starting out with a, with a no-oriented question is, but you're still wired to pitch. Yeah. You're still wired to pitch. Yeah. And getting a that's right out of the other side before you proceed. Seek first to understand before you can be understood. 
You should get it that's right before you make the pitch. On top of that, when you get the feedback from, back from your counterpart, you guys have a broad value proposition. How do you know which portion of that proposition is valuable? Mm -hmm. Your counterpart, you, you, got, you got seven selling points. Your counterpart might be interested in two. Every time spent on the other five, top five is your counterpart is starting to go to sleep on you. Yeah. So the, the guidance that you want to get, you want to know exactly which part of your pitch matters to them. And then, now that you've honed, you know which part of the value proposition is actually there for them, now you can go into it. Yeah. So you're on the right track. Good start, and, and, and there's a coach going to rest. You have a good example of that on the podcast we just released, Chris, where you know, we, we role play a little bit where we say, hey, you know, Chris, I was at your, at your website, saw one of your videos, really liked it, would love to understand more about, about Black Swan. You know, give me your pitch real quick. Uh, what do you guys do and how does this all work? Right? Yeah. And so my answer was, sounds like you're not sure we're valuable. Hmm. Or it would be. Yeah. Because I need to know what you think is valuable. I, we don't make, we don't pitch. Yeah. We find out what matters. Yeah. And then if what you're looking for is not us, we're like, ah, you're not looking for us. Because we need to talk to people that are looking for us. So much of what you talk about is counterintuitive and, and kind of goes against how we've always operated. This isn't an easy shift for people to make. Uh, the 63, I think I heard repetitions to make a habit, they'll get there. Yeah, yeah. and a little awesome. bit of practice and prep. So yeah. I got a video to show you about the Perfect. value of preparation. Fine, man. Go for it. All right, slides back up. Proof of Life video, that's what they're called, the ultimate good news, bad news story, if you're ever unfortunate enough to see one. Today, high, today's high-stakes rescue mission in Columbia ended a drama that has been dragging on for years. Chris Voss is the former FBI lead international kidnapping negotiator, and he worked on the... All right, so in terms of preparation, what are my preparation issues here? It's a little dark, but on the right-hand side of my head, my hair is sticking out the side. <laughs> so this was the first time I was ever on CNN. Like, I got to tell you something. I thought this was cool. Like, I'm going to go in. There are more people watching Anderson Cooper on CNN than are in my hometown back in Iowa. And there's so much I don't know. Like, I heard they have a green room. Do they have a green room? And is it green? I guarantee you there are very few people who are using proof of life questions. There are very few people who are using no oriented questions and there are tons of people who are enamored with yes. And we'll talk about why that's problematic. Um, I often get asked, how did you get hostage takers to say yes to you? And the answer was, we never did. Yes is a useless word it does you no good it's one of the it's one of the hurdles that you're going to have to navigate in order for you to improve the way you communicate between people there's this nonsense out there called yes momentum in, in academia they call it mere agreement which suggests that you're likely to get an agreement to a big ask if there have been micro agreements previous to the ask. Example, uh, do you like clean water? 
do you think people who abuse animals should be held to higher account? Do you think the women's national team should get paid as much as the men's national team? Buy my product. The yeses that precede the big ask, they say, doesn't even have to be related to the ask itself. Some people refer to it as the yesable proposition or my favorite, the yes tie down. Think about that for a second. Someone is trying to use yes to tie you down and you like that? Or, or the other side of the coin, you're using yes to tie someone else down and, and you like that? Yes is commitment. Yes encroaches, this, encroaches on autonomy. Yes makes people defensive. Their anxiety goes up. Um, people will cite studies where yesable propositions, mere agreement, yes momentum work. And I'm not here to say that it doesn't work. I'm just here to say if you're using it, your batting average is not as high as it should be. Yes is a lure. It's a hack. It's seductive. We know how good it sounds. And in that moment, we fail to recognize that we have put the other side on the defensive. So we got to get out of the habit. Think about it like this. How do you feel when the phone rings and the person on the other side, I don't care if they're close to you or not, they ask you, do you have a few minutes to talk? Most of you don't think to yourselves, oh my God, yes, I do have a few minutes. I'm glad you called. Four things usually run, uh, uh, run through your brain almost simultaneously. First, how long is a few minutes? Second, if I have a few minutes to talk, do I want to talk to you? Third, if I want to talk to you, do I want to talk about what you want to talk about? And fourth, how can I get off the phone? We have been hammered with yes. Yes, we know, we feel it instinctively when people are trying to drive us somewhere, when people are trying to commit us to something and we resent it. We don't like committing to something that we haven't volunteered for. And so instead of a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, it's usually set up for a trap. We love to hear it so much, but in that instance, we should know that we're putting the other side on the defensive. Talk about the phases of no. Um, we call this letting no out slowly. So 
when you're trying, when somebody's trying to get you to do something or trying to get you to, to, to buy something or whatever they're trying to get you to do and you want to say no, you don't necessarily want to go along with it, um, there are different phases of no that you can use. Now, anyone who has read the book knows the line, how am I supposed to do that? You need to be extremely careful with how am I supposed to do that? People throw that line around like it's God's answer to everything and it really isn't unless you're using it appropriately, okay? When you say, how am I supposed to do that? It is basically an assertion when it doesn't have the precursor of empathy. In other words, if you've not used empathy, if you've not tried to get that tactical empathy all the way through your conversation, if you come out with a, how am I supposed to do that? It's gonna come across as assertive. Because what you're trying to do when you say, how am I supposed to do that? Is you're trying to trigger empathy in the other side. So if you say it like this, how am I supposed to do that? Am I going to trigger empathy with that tone of voice? No. Okay. So how you want to say this, how am I supposed to do that? Or how am I supposed to do that? Wherever you want to put the inflection. But it's like a thoughtful, seriously, I need you to tell me how am I supposed to do that? Okay. But you, people are not going to care to help you with implementation things and how you're supposed to do that if you've not been using empathy with them all the way through the conversation because they don't feel any empathy toward you. Because remember, if you've used tactical empathy and you've sought to underside the other, understand the other side, when the time comes, they will seek to understand you. They will use a little bit of that reciprocity, we hope. Most personality types will. And they will try to understand you. And when you put that out there like that, with that implementation question, if you're using the right amount of tactical empathy, they will, tr it'll trigger in them. Okay. And you can work with that. So how am I supposed to do that? That's the first way of saying no. If you say it wrong, they may come back with, I don't know, that's your problem. Figure out. I'm not, not my job to do that. If you've not used the appropriate amount of empathy before you try to make that, it's going to come across as an assertion and that's the response you're going to get. Okay. How am I supposed to do that? You want a, a, an answer from them that's going to give you some information about how, really how you're supposed to do that. They might give you some kind of an explanation. If you're still feeling like you want to say no, you can say, you know, I'm sorry, your, your offer is, is very generous. I just don't know how I can do that. Talking goes on a little bit more. You're still not liking what they're offering. You're going to say, I'm sorry, that just isn't going to work for me. And then when they get down to that last one, you're going to say, mm, no. Basically, by doing all of those things, if you know you want to say no to somebody, but you want to protect the relationship for further down the road in case you want to actually do business with these people again, letting no out slowly is the best way to do it. It's like a thoughtful, I've really thought about this and oh my gosh, it kills me, but I'm just, I'm not going to be able to do business with you. Letting no out slowly with those four steps like that before you get to that final no um, is going to save the relationship with the business or whoever the person that you're working with. I, I, I could keep this conversation going forever. Uh, I, I got one more question um, that I'm personally curious about. You talk a lot about mirroring. Um, where you say the last three words and what somebody says and the power of that and then you just shut up the mirroring versus layering example when you object okay or when you say something that's like look we don't have the budget for this right mirroring is so you don't have the budget sit let it sit so 
uh, layering would be, help me understand, what do you mean by you don't have a budget? Is one more powerful than the other? Because what you're both trying to do is get them to talk more and, and really uncover the true like meaning behind what they're saying there. Is there a difference between that and, and do you see one as more valid than the other in, in certain circumstances? To begin with, if you're at the point where somebody says, we don't have the budget, and you say, help me understand, what do you mean by you don't have the budget? You're telling them that you have not been paying attention up to now. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, I, mean, I use that as a kind of a very simple example, but, but you just see what I'm saying, like layering questions to tell me more about that. Could you explain to me, could you give me an example of versus all that by the first thing you said, tell me more about that's not a question, it's a command. And then you followed up with two straight yes oriented questions, which are trap questions, okay. but nobody wants to say yes to anything. Okay. So you, you, you hit me with what, Three straight bad communication techniques. Okay. Right off the bat. Tell me more about that. It's not a question. It's a command. It's a grab for autonomy. It's an attempt to take control of a conversation. Taking control is taking away somebody's autonomy, which we will die to preserve our autonomy. But don't, when you talk about calibrated questions, isn't, don't you talk about how you want to make the um, illusion of, of them on, in control when you're actually in command? Uh, we want to have the upper hand. We want to have control. Okay. I mean, it's, and, and, and I'll tell you something else. We don't try to get information by asking questions. We use questions to shape thoughts. Questioning to gather information is... A third of the people that you run into will be so-so with it, and two-thirds of them are not going to like it at all. The very, the very analytical person, every time you ask them a question, they stop and they think, I have to think through the implications of every possible answer before I get back to you. So I can't answer you for at least two days. <laughs> so what and, do you – sorry. So, so I mean, we don't we don't use questions. All right. So, if somebody somebody says to me, "What was the? Uh, it's too much." What was your example before? Yeah. So it's like it, it's too we don't much. have the budget for this. Yeah, we don't have the budget for this. So this is out of our budget range or something like that. Right. So you you want to demonstrate understanding. What do they tell you if they don't have the budget for it? They're yeah. telling you one of two things: They're either under pressure. Or what you're offering is not delivering adequate value. Right, the value alignment, yep. So a demonstration of understanding would be seek first to understand, then be understood, demonstrate understanding. Sounds like the value is just not there for you. They have just communicated to you very clearly that something's wrong with your proposition. And instead of you demonstrating any understanding of that, in any way, shape, or form. Instead, you want to challenge them as if they weren't listening. Help me understand here. What's not here for you? Which is equivalent of saying, you know, you haven't been paying attention, so I'm going to have to go back over my value proposition again because you're not paying attention. So let me let me see if I can isolate where you weren't paying attention so I can go back and correct you. I mean, that's what you're communicating when you say, help me understand what about this is invaluable for you. And, and in most cases, a lot of people probably say it in a tone of voice that indicates that you think they're stupid. Yeah. So, uh, to, but to say, sounds like the value is just not here for you, is, a, is an indication of understanding, and it's an invitation to fix it. 
and it's taken responsibility on your side to be to be responsive to them instead of them being responsive to you. Cool. And what you're searching for is the that's right, not your right. right? Uh, well, exactly. At some point in time, you get you you, you, you if if somebody's saying you're right to you. Yes. They are trying to finish the interaction goal. <laughs> you want to go to lunch. It's the same reason why you don't say I understand. Because what's the what's the negative part of me? Like after you tell me, so there's one about summarizing and rephrasing back to you, but then after you tell me something and me saying I understand, what's the danger of that? Well, all right, let, let's pretend like you actually do understand. Right. But when you say that, they're not clear on what you understand. I mean, you're trying to give them the Cliff Notes version of it. I mean, how do they, if you say, I understand, how do they know, how do they really know that they got their points across if you don't repeat back to them the points that they, in fact, got across? I mean, you know, since we were kids, we, we played the telephone game. You know, tell somebody a secret. By the time you tell four other people, the secret's completely changed. I mean, it's it's nearly impossible to hear somebody's side of things the first time and get it right. So to say I understand, even if you do, chances are, let's say you're the best listener in the world. Chances are you got it 80% right. And you're taking a real risk on a percentage that you got wrong. So I understand is, that's just too nebulous. You tell me that you understand I'm not sure I'm getting a warm and fuzzy feeling they actually do. And in most cases, I understand proceeds, but here's where you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Is it, is it okay to say, let me make sure I heard you correctly and then rephrase it back to them? Or is there a better way of, of, of summarizing what you heard from them that, that makes them more open to understand that you really do understand? No, it's not bad at all. I mean, you know, we don't coach people to say it like that. There are other ways um, of saying it. I mean, let me make sure I heard you correctly as a command. And it's a, it's a grab at control again. And it's to take autonomy from the other side. And, you know, I mean, it just that just uh, commands just they just don't sit well with other people. I mean, if you're a frontline salesperson and your CEO sets you down, you, you might be a little bit slow to say, tell me more about that. Or let me make sure I understand, you know, you you might, you might want to demonstrate your understanding um, or you might change your tone of voice, but you know, we like deference to begin with, uh, which is not to take control. You know, we love deference as an approach because there's great, there's great power in deference. I mean, we love deference because everybody loves it. If I'm deferential to you, you're going to give me a lot more opportunity to talk because I'm deferential. You're going to feel like you can stop me at any time. I mean, we, lo- we love deference. So it's more in the sense of it seems like you're those, that instead of let me make sure I heard this correctly scenario. Yeah, and, and again, tone of voice is going to make a big difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can get away with a lot of bad words with great tone. <laughs> yeah, you, do. you know, I, and we were, um, we were co- on a coaching call just the other day. And, you know, we coach people to identify negatives. Identifying a negative diffuses it. And people say, okay, that makes sense to me. And we say, and identifying a negative never plants it. And they go, okay, that makes sense to me. 
And then we say, all right, so let's be proactive. Let's say, all right, you pro- you're probably upset with us. They say, oh, my God, that's, you know, they, they're going to respond to us. Well, I wasn't, but I am now. But wait a second, two seconds ago, you agreed that you couldn't plant negatives, and now you're, now you're arguing. So we get somebody arguing with us, and so I just stopped and I said, so it sounds like when I said identifying negatives doesn't plant them, you thought it was wrong? Now, listen, listen, that my tone was clear there, right? Mm-hmm. And I could have said, so it sounds to me like when I said identifying negatives doesn't plant them, you thought I was wrong. Same words. Much different. Tone of voice on a second one kills me. But the first one, you know, I'm the, the tone of voice I'm, makes all the difference in the world. I mean, I'm, I'm a thousand percent convinced that, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. And, you know, everybody wants to learn from Jordan Belfort. God, no. Fuck no. Sorry. And, <laughs> but they do, right? Yeah. So what, 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 was there, what was there to learn from him? In, in my view, tone of voice. Yeah. Well, the guy, the guy, I think the guy mastered tonality. I mean, a thousand, and, and clearly he mastered something because yeah. he wouldn't owe $100 million in res, restitution, which means he stole way more than that. Uh-huh. You know, but I mean, so what did he do? Because yeah, you, you take a look at straight line selling and it's no matter what the client says, your widget is the answer. I mean, that by definition is not listening. Uh-huh. So how, how, did, how, did he, how did he get over so much? And in my view, the guy mastered tonality. And and that is something that's fair for anybody to master. I'm not a fan otherwise. Don't get me wrong. I, I you know the guy owes the only reason that if you should ever consider buying his book would be to help give some of the hundred million dollars back because he owes restitution based on book sales. Yeah, tell me about it. I, I, whenever anybody asks me what my favorite sales movies are, you know, they Wolf of Wall Street, Boiler Room, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, I tell them no. Those are literally the worst sales movies I've ever seen in my life. You know, they're great movies, they're funny, but they're literally everything that's wrong about selling. It, yeah. It, everything that's wrong about selling and i tell them to go look the two best sales movies and actually i'll finish with this i want to understand what yours are my two favorite sales movies uh, uh pursuit of happiness right with will smith wow and tommy boy you ever watched tommy boy i didn't i never thought of it as a sales movie but you know it's a it's a great thought it's a great go watch it because I, I talk about catching your sales groove right and there's a, there's a moment in every sales rep's life where they wake up and it's just a little bit easier today than it was yesterday and you don't know when it was but it's when you stop pitching your solutions and you start having conversations about your solutions. Ah, you right. start caring more about the client's needs than you do about your commission check. And there's that beautiful moment in Tommy Boy where he catches his sales group. Helen, you look like a Helen. Let me tell you why I suck as a sales rep. And he goes through this whole, like, Jojo, the idiot circus boy with a pretty new pet. And she's like, wow, you're twisted. You know, I'll go fire up those wings. You go, oh, Tommy like you, Tommy want wingy. You know, in that moment, he was he would be caught a sales groove because before that he was pitching he was trying to be like his dad you could stick your head up a butcher's ass type of stuff right and couldn't figure it out and then after and then it was just him and it was empathy it was self-deprecation and so it's a it's a beautiful uh sales movie if you if you get a chance to go see it again i'll probably go back and watch it again yeah go watch you put the sales lens on because right you funny at first it's like yeah Tommy boy that's fun you know big fat guy making fun of himself but look at it with the sales lens on it's it's a blast <laughs> so that's really cool yeah all right very good do you have any uh, favorite sales movies or anything like that? Or, or look at it through a different lens. I look at it through negotiation, right? right. And as, as opposed to as opposed to sales, but that, that's a lens I'm going to have to go back and take another look at. Yeah, my question is, um, it's about uh, saying no. So actually, I, I read one of your blogs, um, communication skills: the three ways to make no for you. 
Uh, so what, what would be the best piece of advice you would give, give someone like me who finds it hard to say no sometimes? And how can I build my confidence by saying no during the right time? So, yeah, that's that's my question. Thanks so much. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, great question. I mean, kind of like so like any word, there's two two aspects, you know, if you're saying it, and if you're hearing it. But in, in every negotiator's life, there's a turning point. The biggest turning point is probably coming to grips with the words yes and no. And I, a thousand percent, I, rem, I remember the moment. It's about 2002. I'm walking to an airport and I'm always looking at the books shelves and I see a book on a bookshelf that says start with no. And I literally do a double take. Stop me in my tracks. Like start with no in the business negotiating section. This is nuts. I got to look at this book. And it was Jim Camp's book on and he wasn't really trying to get people to say no, but it was about you being okay with hearing it. And then you being okay with letting the other side know it's cool to say no. And his whole approach, he called it the right to veto. He said at the beginning of the negotiation, say to the other side, it's okay. You can say no to me at any time. Say no. And this is over. You're free to say no whenever. And then Camp writes in his book that people will die to preserve their autonomy. And when you take away their right to say no, you take away their autonomy and they'll die to preserve it. And I remember thinking like, no shit. We learned that in hostage negotiation a long time ago. That's why we got hostage negotiators. Because people are getting killed right and left over losing their autonomy over their home. So coming to grips with yes and no will move you forward as a communicator. Now, hearing it and saying it, uh, it, I'm my buddy in L.A., Ned Coletti, former GM of the Dodgers, great guy, good human being. I borrow this phrase from him. He he said, I like to let out no a little at a time. Don't let the other side be shocked with the word no. You know, how can you begin to hint that there's a no coming if they don't watch it? You know, we start that out. I start that out in the book. I wrote the book, Never Split the Difference, with my son, Brandon, and Tal Raz. Brandon is uncredited co-author. We start with the number one way to let out no a little at a time, which is how am I supposed to do that? The other side's reaction gives you a clear picture of who you're dealing with and how collaborative they're going to be. You're not saying that to get an answer from them. You're saying that to begin to warn them that no is on its way. I never want anybody to be shocked when I flat out say no. I'll start out by saying, how am I supposed to do that? One time in 10, they're going to come back and say, that's up to you to figure out if you want the deal. You got to do it my way. One time in 10. When that one time in 10 comes, my answer is, I'm sorry. You've been very generous. That just doesn't work for me. That's a little stronger way to say no. That hits a couple of more emotional levers from the other side. If I say, if, if a black swan says to you, I'm sorry, there's bad news on the way and we are warning you. <laughs> We never let you get hit with bad news and then say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry is our precursor to us taking a stronger position and giving you a chance to brace yourself for hearing a tougher 
drawing of a line, you know, a stronger boundary. I don't want you to, to run into the boundary and be shocked by it. I'm going to warn you it's coming. After I've warned you a couple of times, if I need to say no, then I'm going to say no. And then I'm going to say, I look forward to the day when we work this out because my intention from the beginning was for us to have a great long-term relationship. And when we're prepared to make mutually beneficial commitments, we can continue this conversation. And then it's peace out from my side. Now, know from the other side, you feel safe when you say no. You feel protected. If you feel safe and protected, you're more likely to collaborate with me freely because you feel safe and protected. So I'm going to say what we were talking about before earlier with Brianne. Have you given up on whatever it is? Do you disagree? Are you against? Is this a ridiculous idea? If I'm worried that you might react negatively, I just opened a very emotional negotiation tonight within my family on some very emotional issues in reference to my mother's recent passing. And I don't want anybody to feel like I'm intruding on their feelings or their autonomy. So I started out with, are you opposed to me wanting this? Because I want to know if they're opposed and I want to, I want them to not feel guilty over their emotional feelings. So the best way for me to start that out is to start it out in, in that fashion. And that negotiation, which is meant to be collaborative in nature with nobody losing, has started out well. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Uh, thanks so much for that answer. Hi, Chris. Uh, Chris, it was great hey, meeting Giles, you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It was great meeting you the other week. And I loved your story about meeting Jack Welch and uh, asking him to come speak at your uh, class, I believe was at SC, um, by framing yeah. it in a no question. I want you to know I've been using that with my girlfriend. I've been using the would it be ridiculous or would I be out of line if I asked for this? And I wanted to know if you had any other good no questions to ask that are really yes questions. You know, I don't, I, I don't, all of them. I mean, I don't ask any yes questions. Uh, I, ju I just know that people, it works better. It hits the brain better. So, you know, uh, is now a bad time to talk? Um, is it a ridiculous idea? Have you given up on? Um, is it a bad idea? Are you opposed? Do you disagree? I mean, with, with the slightest amount of practice, you could switch any yes question into a no question. And it, it just works, it works better across the board. I mean, we don't, nobody in my company asks yes questions. Nobody, nobody asks, uh, have you got a few minutes to talk? Nobody says, do you, do you agree? It just across the board, it makes it safer for people to answer. And also the real issue always is if there are problems, I want you to feel free to tell me what the problems are. And you're going to feel free to tell me those problems after no. So, with just a little bit of practice, uh, and it takes practice. You know, all of these are, are, you know, get your practice reps in, in the low stakes conversations. And pretty soon the stuff starts, starts flowing out of your mouth. I'm, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm in a, uh, I'm making a pitch in a hotel for a room upgrade and I don't got any room upgrades. 
but I've worked so much on no oriented questions. And because like I am pushing this guy hard for something extra that I'm not paying for. And finally, I says, well, is it ridiculous for you to make it up for me at the bar? And he's like, he's like, no, no. And he goes and gets a bunch of free trick drink coupons for the bar. So, you know, no oriented questions is a great one to practice. You'll find it'll bail you out when you're trying to get free drinks. (laughs) We get so hung up because at the end of the day, what was Chris telling you? Each of the role players, what was he telling you? No, right? He was telling you no. It was in a different form, car in 60 seconds or she dies. But he was telling you no. Anytime somebody tells you no, they're telling you what? What's behind the no? When somebody gives you pushback, when somebody says do this or else, cut your price, I'm going to a competitor. Take this clause out of the contract or we're not going to sign. Change your delivery date. Give me a raise or I'm going to another company. What are they really telling you? Now we got a hand back here. Yes, but they're pushing back. Why are they pushing back? What are they telling you with the pushback? They don't trust you or they're afraid of something. We get so wrapped around the axle on the demand. I want a car in 60 seconds. What's behind that? What is he telling you? Which tells you what? Which tells you what? He wants to get out. He's afraid. Go deeper, as they say. As Brandon says, go deeper. Hey, Isaac's the one who gives you crap over that, not me. <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing a lot of things. Say it again. He wants Who said to live. That? Raise your hand. That's it. That's exactly it. There's a motivation behind every pushback, every no. And it usually has to do with trust. usually has to, has to do with fear. There's another motive. When, 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 the, when Chechen terrorists marched into that school in 2004 in Beslan, Russia, one of the first two demands on their list was, we want Putin to resign. And we want Russian boots off of Chechen soil. Show of hands, how many think that would ever happen? And so the powers that be said, it's never going to happen. This is non-negotiable. We can't negotiate this. What are they saying behind that? Russian boots off of Chechen soil and Putin has to resign. What are they saying behind it? What? Uh, if he you carry it to its to die willing it, to die, I'm sorry. Yes, he said they're willing to die for it. If you carry it to its logical extension, based on their history, probably. But what is the message behind? Yeah, their sovereignty and freedom has been encroached upon. That's what we're going to talk about. The fact that they said take it out of the contract or we're not going to sign. I don't care about that. I want to know what makes them say that. Why are they afraid to sign? What is their environment looks like that's clouding their vision? And so don't get hung up on the fact that they've issued a threat or they've issued a demand. You take it, you process it, and then you start to attack 
What's propping that up? What's supporting it? And at the primal level, it's fear or it's mistrust. Did you want to add? Brandon. Uh, very good. And yeah, just to kind of add to more of that, how do you get to the why without asking the why? Short answer is labels. And then to go even further than that, labeling the underlying dynamic. I need a car in 60 seconds or she dies. Sounds like you want to live. Circumst- uh, situation, the circumstance and the situation drive your strategy. When people are barricaded suspects, are they always looking to make it out alive? No. So the fact that they're asking for a car and a way of escape at the beginning is a really good sign. Part of the why that that tells you right away is they want to live. Then how do we get to more of the why? Sounds like you got a reason for doing this. Sounds like you got a good reason, a good justified reason for why you got up this morning and decided to take all these people hostage. What, what, what he said was, and this would be on your go-to labels list, especially as a last-ditch effort, it sounds like there's nothing I can say to change your mind. And again, uh, mastery's in tonality, but also to his point, as business people, part of our job is qualifying our clients. And so if you know that you're with somebody that is taking that line with you, the other question you should be asking yourself is, do I want to do business with this schmuck for the next five years? Or is it actually easier for me to cut my losses and focus my time on something else? It's one of the great things. That's one of the great things about having autonomy as a business person. You get to make that decision. And so if you know you're dealing with someone who is stuck on that one-track mind, you can take the route of, all right, we'll come to an agreement. I don't mind playing the game as long as I know what the rules are. Or you can say, yeah, this is a fucking waste of my time. I've been working with this guy. He's, he clearly seems to recognize some sort of loss, but he's stuck. His pride and ego is too stuck to this number. And he just doesn't have the ability to think this through right now, which happens. Because that sounds like you're dealing with an assertive. And assertives are one-track mind people sometimes. They get tunnel vision because they're so focused on a goal. And there ain't nothing that's going to penetrate that thought process until they got a couple of nights to sleep on it. And so how are you, man- again, emotional moments, right? How are you managing it? And then do you want to do business with that person? Subscribe to the Black Swan Group's negotiation newsletter, which is free. doesn't cost you anything. I had a colleague of the FBI that used to like to say, if it's free, I'll take three. Here's how you subscribe to The Edge if you're in the United States. Send the text to, the number is 33777, that's 33777. The text message that you send is Black Swan Method, Black Swan Method 233777. Comes to your email inbox on Tuesday mornings when you're ready to rock and roll and get after the week.